Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And everyone, welcome to the show, and what a great show we're going to have today. You know, Commissioner Heifelbloom, I describe as one of the greatest civil rights leaders that I have met, and for those of us with disabilities, she has been there fighting from for us since the writing of the ADA. As a matter of fact, I heard about her from so many people when talking about the writing of the ADA, and she also has been a leading advocate for the gay community, and that is because she believes in inclusion for everyone. Now, before joining EEOC, she was the professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. She is a great champion that I can truly say I admire so much. Commissioner Feldblum, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Well, it is an honor to have you with us. So, because we have so many listeners on this show, and I'm sure many of them already know this, but for those that do not, how about if you share with everyone how you became involved with the disability community? Sure. So um, I've been involved with the disability community since um, essentially 1988. Um, that is through my legal work. Um, that year I was a law clerk to Justice Harry Blackman, and the Supreme Court was hearing a um, then a, a disability law case brought under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Um, and so... Um, you know, I helped work on that case. It was a very important case in terms of coverage to ensure that people with contagious diseases were covered. Um, so that was my first exposure to it through the law. Um, I would say that since that time, I had sort of two tracks of engagement. One, I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder um, probably just about a year or so after that. Um, and it's been anxiety disorder that's been medicated for the last 20-some years. Um, but it gave me a, just a real sense of how someone's non-manifest disability um, could be stigmatized and not understood. Um, and so that was always something very important to me to be out about that fact so that um, people understood that people with disabilities were on the range um, of impairments. Um, but then after that, I was working for the um, AIDS project of the ACLU uh, starting in 1989. And through that, because people with AIDS and HIV infection got their protection under general disability law, I became the, the lead lawyer, uh, leading a group of lawyers that um, helped work to draft and negotiate the ADA. So that was 20 years ago. Um, I often say I don't have kids, I have laws, um, and the ADA was, was the first. 
and then uh, the courts got a hold of it um, and did some really cutting back of that law. And so I was then involved again two years ago, again as a, um, a lawyer for the Epilepsy Foundation at that point, which was leading, uh, co-leading the coalition to amend the ADA um, and then again worked to help negotiate and draft the ADA Amendments Act of 2008. Well, you definitely have been involved, that is for sure. And yes, being that I'm the chair of the Epilepsy Foundation, uh, you know, I heard so much about you and the great work that you were doing, and I can certainly relate to having the hidden disability since I have epilepsy, mm -hmm. and I have to tell you that in some ways that is the hardest, uh, you know, for people with a disability, and being that you were involved in writing the ADA, I know that you will really appreciate this. You don't know how many times I will have represented someone on an interview with a company, and this is what they'll say when they call me, the HR mm -hmm. person. They'll say, you know, I interviewed that person, and, you know, I couldn't tell what the disability was. <laughs> of course, wanting me to tell them. Right, say, right. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Period. Yes, I know. But right. you know what? This is what amazes me, that people still, you know, don't know that you're not allowed to ask that question because you would be surprised how many people I send on interviews where they still ask them, what is your disability? Right, right. And I think we have to recognize that civil rights law protects a range of situations. So obviously it protects situations in which your characteristic is manifest, right? Someone can see that you're a woman. Someone can see that you're, let's say, Latina. Um, you know, like I like to say, honey, you definitely look over 40 years of age. You know what I mean? Like it can be apparent for the, of what the characteristic is. But civil rights law also protects two other things. It protects us from being forced to hide something that otherwise would have been manifest. And that's often the case for religion. Like the Muslim woman who chooses to wear a hijab is there for communicating that she's Muslim. Theoretically, she could take the hijab off, but not really in terms of still maintaining her identity as a Muslim. So it protects us from being forced to hide something that theoretically we could. But it also then protects us if we choose to come out about a hidden disability. You know, and the thing is, often there's no reason for someone to come out about it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you need an accommodation, in which case that's when you need to be protected under the law by saying, I have diabetes and I need to eat at my desk. You know, I have anxiety disorder and I need to go see the psychiatrist, right? That you should be protected when you do come out about a characteristic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. That's why when I go to a company, you know, to, to try to start working with them to employ people with disabilities, and they say to me, well, this is new for us, you know. We've never hired people with disabilities before. I say, oh, yes, you have. Yes. <laughs> They're right here. They have epilepsy, bipolar disorder, MS, diabetes. It's just they've chosen not to tell you Mm -hmm. because they don't feel comfortable telling you. As you said, you're not, no one should be forced or has to say mm -hmm. what their disability is because I always tell people that, you know, you're not hired because you have epilepsy. You're hired for your legal skills or accounting skills, whatever it is that you have in your background. But 
really the reason a lot of people do not want to disclose is fear of discrimination, mm -hmm. fear of being treated differently. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's why the law is just one piece of it. It's a critical piece, but it's just one piece. So having the law in place, and that's why it was so important to get the ADA Amendments Act of 2008 enacted so we could restore the broad definition of disability. Having the law in place with that broad definition gives the legal assurance that someone is not permitted to discriminate against you. But that's not enough. I mean, the thing is we have to change people's attitudes and assumptions. We need to rely on the fact that people don't often always think that someone with epilepsy or diabetes or MS, you know, has a disability, right? Because they, they, they're so used to doing the us and them. So there's them, people with disabilities, and then us, and it's, you know, with sort of various health conditions. And really to break down that barrier between us and them um, and to um, change people's assumptions about what people with the entire range of disabilities, whether they consider that a disability or not, can do in terms of working. So law is one piece of it, but it's never going to be all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, do you have any suggestions of what we could do at corporations that they understand they cannot ask if you have a disability? Well, you know, I think that having the ADA Amendments Act of 2008, having passed two years ago, and now with my agency, the EEOC, having issued the final regulations just a week ago, I think we are seeing a moment of resurgence of both interest in the ADA and self-education. I think we have a moment now in the next year when corporations are going to be uh, what I call hitting the refresh button on ADA obligations, which include everything from you can't ask someone, you know, to fill out a medical questionnaire or to answer health-related questions before you have given them a conditional job offer. You simply mm -hmm. can't do that, straight at violation of the law. And when someone is on the job, you can't have someone undergo a health exam, you have them answer health questions, unless something is happening that makes you think there's a job-related reason to ask them that information. So the law provides very strong, essentially, privacy protections um, and then job-related protections um, that I think people will be learning about again now because they're learning about what the ADA, as amended, now covers. So really the key there is for corporations to have people on board that understand this is a law and they have to understand that throughout the company. Yes, train and their think, employees, train their hiring right. managers. I think a lot of companies, um, you know, when the ADA became effective in 1992, um, so two years after it was enacted in 1990, it became effective, there was a lot of effort between 1990 and 92 for people to learn about the law. So I think there are still a number of corporations who know about the law, have been training their HR folks, but because the law in the past 10, 12 years got so sort of encrusted with bad court decisions about who was covered under the ADA, I think it, it just it made it more difficult for HR folks to, um, to realize how broad the law actually was, always intended to be. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that now with the Amendments Act, with the new regulations, um, as I said, I think there's going to be a very important refresh, hit the refresh button um, and learn about reasonable accommodation and essential functions and qualification standards and all the types of things that have sometimes kept people with disabilities out of the workplace. Yeah, yes. Uh, you know what? Um, Justin Dart used to say that we can, you know, write a law but not change the attitudes, mm-hmm. but, but we can protect them. Well, and writing the law is part of changing the attitudes. Mm-hmm. You see, the law is sending a message to the people of the United States of America that we as a society do not believe that people should be held back because of other people's views of their physical and mental impairments. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a statement of what we stand for as a society. Right? It's a law saying you, just because you've always done a job one way, if that, doing the job that way ends up excluding people with a certain disability, you have to do what I call in the ADA the stop, think, and justify moment. The ADA is a stop, think, and justify law. You know, it doesn't mean that you can have a certain qualification standard or a certain required essential function, but you have to ask yourself, is this standard necessary? Is this job function essential? Because if it's keeping out a person with a disability and we can do the job differently and they can then do the job, as a society, we are saying the law tells us we have to do that. That is a great thing. <laughs> you know, in terms it of is. the standard of the law. Thing. Now it's yeah, about teaching people it about it. It well because part two justice for all right mm-hmm. yeah and uh, I know that Yoshiko is always following this show so Yoshiko mm-hmm. we are always thinking of you and Justin and everything you've done but we've yeah. got to move forward and make this happen and with someone like Commissioner Feldblum I know that it will happen we're going to go to break and then we'll be right back with Commissioner Feldblum. You are listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. Comes down to ladies is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. 
Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Well, get ready to get fired up because we have EEOC Commissioner Bloom with us as our guest today and hold on i think we have a caller on the line uh go ahead caller this is patty from washington dc how are you hey patty how are you doing i'm just fine how are you oh it's very nice to hear your voice well, thank you so much. Uh, Commissioner Feldblum, thank you so much for being on the radio show. I had a question about whether the EEOC is going to try to find more common ground with the business community and people with disabilities so that we don't have so many uh, legal battles that are going to be happening. Oh, I love that question, Patty. <laughs> I mean, you're just speaking right to my heart. Um, because I'm a civil rights lawyer through and through. This is what I've done for the last 25 years, you know, working with Congress, helping um, you know, in Congress and its work to pass laws. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, one of the most important things was that the ADA 20 years ago was a bipartisan effort in which those of us from the disability community sat down with the business community and negotiated that original ADA, okay? Yes. So in my mind, what should have happened after that is a combined effort of both the disability and the business community to make sure that people with disabilities were getting hired, and getting yeah. accommodations, right? And instead, what happened was a complete sort of disintegration of the law into these lawsuits about were you disabled enough and were you substantially limited and what was the major life activity? I mean, it was a complete opposite. So my personal commitment with the ADA Amendments Act of 2008 is to not have a repeat of that, okay? Right. So the Amendments Act of 2008, was similar to the original ADA. In fact, one of the people I negotiated with on the other side of the table was a guy named Randy Johnson, who's the head of lobbying for the Chamber of Commerce now, had been a Republican staffer 20 years ago. So some of the people were actually the same people that I negotiated with 20 years earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but so that was the same in the sense that we had a bipartisan effort to pass the statute. But one of the things that was important to me when I got onto the EOC as a commissioner, and I've been on as a commissioner for about a year, initially as a recess appointee of President Obama, and then we were confirmed last December, it was very important to me that the regulations that got issued under the ADA Amendments Act would be ones that 
reflected the concerns of both people with disabilities and the business community, because there were many comments that came in on the proposed regulation. Mm-hmm. And what, when we issued these regulations, these final regulations a week ago, to me, one of the proudest moments for myself was mm-hmm. that there were not only press releases from Epilepsy Foundation and American Association of People with Disabilities and Leadership Conference for Civil Rights, all these folks applauding the regulations, mm-hmm. but there was also a press release from Society for Human Resource Management that goes out to thousands of HR managers. Wow. And a press release from the Chamber of Commerce that said, thank you, EEOC, for listening to what our concerns were. We think these regulations are clear and understandable. We think they are workable for business. So that's, that's the message I want to get out there, that mm-hmm. these are workable for business at the same time as they are very protective of people with disabilities. And I think it's an obligation on the part of all the parties, and I mean by that the disability community, the business community, and the government, the EEOC, the Department of Justice, any of us who enforce this law to make sure that we are constantly engaged in a dialogue with both business and people with disabilities to understand how to make the law workable. That's so. wonderful. <laughs> That's wonderful. If, if I could just ask one follow-up mm-hmm. question, do you think that the EEOC may issue technical guidance in future years if they see that there's going to be an area that's, that might be problematic for an employer or for some type of person with disability? Um, yes. I mean, I, I think the EEOC has done a very good job over the past 20 years in, in issuing guidance, mm-hmm. but I think now what we need to do is go back, look at each of that guidance, starting with the guidance uh, we issued in 2002 on reasonable accommodation, Mm-hmm. Just like employers have to hit the refresh button, right, to refresh mm-hmm. their knowledge, I think we as an agency have an obligation to go back and look at each of our guidances on the ADA and to make sure that they are correctly meeting the needs of uh, people with disabilities and employers and unions and employment agencies. Let's not forget, yes. for all those employment agencies that refer people employment, you know, they are all covered under the ADA, mm-hmm. as are unions. So we need to make sure that we are providing guidance to all of them. Great. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, and please keep up the good work. Thank you, Patty. Okay. Hey, Patty, thanks for calling in. Thank you. Take care. Okay. You know, I am absolutely so thrilled and amazed that you re- had the press release from Sherm. Yeah. Yep. It's, well, that says a lot about SHRM as well, you see, the, and the Chamber, because they, you know, they were very involved in the negotiations around the bill itself. I think they were concerned with how they read some of the proposed regulations. I don't know that the agency necessarily intended everything that they read, but I think that they, I think they want to have their folks do the right thing. And they know that there are thousands of HR people out there, and some of them won't, you know, learn the law and won't do the right thing. But so many of them actually do want to do the right thing. So let's help them. Let's help them do the right thing as opposed to fighting. Uh, Yes, right. Because we'll get a lot further that way. 
No, yeah. no question about that. Well, you know, speaking of that, when you were involved originally with the Americans with Disabilities Act, I know from Tony and different people that there was opposition at the beginning. How, how was that resolved back then? Right. Well, there was opposition um, actually from the beginning and all the way to the end by NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Businesses. I don't think they ever came around. But there was also opposition from the more mainstream, you know, business groups. So, in fact, I got to know Sue Messenger, who was then the president of SHRM, um, as well as uh, some other folks at the Chamber of Commerce, um, as well as some other business groups, National Association of Manufacturers. So they had concerns in the beginning of the process. And the way that we dealt with it was um, through the staff people, first on the Senate side, then on the House, so we went through several stages of negotiation um, with both Democratic and Republican staff people and people with disabilities, their representatives, like I was from the AIDS community, um, and representatives from the business community. I mean, this really was sitting around a table through various sets of negotiations um, to, to hammer out the issues. So like I said, we never did bring NFIB over to the side of truth and justice, as I thought, um, but we definitely did um, meet the, the concerns of a number of the business groups through, you know, just different working through the language, just working through the language of the law. Well, you know, you were talking about, for example, the ADA Amendments Act, how that's going to help by getting the message out there. But for those people with disabilities listening to the show right now, how, what does it mean to them? Does it, what do you think it means to the disability community compared to how it was before? Well, I think it's huge for the disability community, but I, it was also intended to be huge in 1990, and it was in a lot of ways in 1990 because it was the first time that we were saying so clearly as a society that you cannot take someone's disability into account if it doesn't affect their ability to do the job and if it would affect their ability to do the job, you had an obligation as an employer to provide a reasonable accommodation. Okay, so that was a huge thing in 1990. That's still a huge thing now. The difference is that in between, just some of the protections of the law got degraded, you know, got weakened. So for people with disabilities out in the country right now, with the ADA Amendments Act and the EOC regulations should mean to you is that you have a strong law in a very focused and committed government agency intent on ensuring that you are treated fairly in the workplace. That is what that law stands for. So it means that you should be able to go seek a job and if you have a non-manifest disability, not have to um, divulge what that disability is, but that if you then need an accommodation once you're on the job, you get to ask for it. It means that if you have a manifest disability, you should be able to feel comfortable as an applicant saying, this is the accommodation I would need. With that, I can do this job. And the law prohibits an employer from refusing to hire you or an employment agency from refusing to refer you for a job just because you need a reasonable accommodation. They can't say, oh, well, that's going to be a bother. You know, so... We all know that it is so hard to, um, you know, without sort of a smoking gun of 
someone's uh, comment, it is often hard in the law to prove that discrimination happened. So, you know, I, that's why I don't believe the law is a panacea. It's, not, it's only one piece of the puzzle. But I think people with disabilities should know that right now the law is very strong in terms of protecting them. And so people should go out there and try to get the jobs they want to get. I mean, this is a tough economic climate. This is a tough to get a job. We all need jobs, you know, and it's just people with disabilities should just be, you know, heading out there in the world finding those jobs just like everyone else. That's right, and with everything we have going on right now in the federal government, although it is tough, and although we see on CNN of all these things happening with budget cuts, still I am seeing people with disabilities gain employment. So, you know, all is not lost. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we've got to start fighting back. There has to be a paradigm uh, shift. It can't be we're waiting, because no one's going to come to the door. We've got to get out there and make it happen. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back, but we're going to break right now. This is Joyce Bender, where disability matters every single day at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Commissioner High Feldblum. Don't go away. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grumberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back to the show. Oh, what a great show this is. 
because we're talking to Commissioner High Feldblum. And you know, while we were on break, we were talking about how people with disabilities, we can't sit back and wait. You know, we're not going to have the person shining night come to the door and say, oh, here's employment. You know, we've got to get out there just as everyone else does and make it happen. And I was telling her about, you know, Alice in Wonderland, the new Alice in Wonderland, where Alice is saying, I can't do it, I can't do it, I won't be able to do it. And the Mad Hatter, played by Johnny Depp, says, Alice, you've lost your muchness. And what do you think about that, Commissioner Feldblum? Don't you think we've got to get back our muchness? I, I am totally about getting back our muchness. I actually remember that scene in the movie, because I just watched it about two weeks ago. And when he said it to her, and you could just see her face. Like, first she was like, wow, what are you saying to me? You know, like just like angry. And then realizing that it was true and it was in her grasp to get back her muchness. So it's not anyone else who was handing that back to her, right? It was, you know, just reaching inside yourself and knowing, oh, my God, I can totally do this. So I do believe that for people with disabilities, for so long, um, the, the way that it's been talked about, people with disabilities getting jobs, is as if just getting the job is, is the, the end final thing. You know, like, oh, wow, that's so exciting, you have a job. As opposed to thinking about people with disabilities like everyone else. Well, of course, we all need jobs, you know, and we all need good jobs and good quality jobs. So there has to be the same expectation that people with disabilities want to work for the same reason that everyone works. You know, get money, have independence, be able to live your life, and, you know, get back the muchness that was taken away by little comments here and there by society. You know, it's like we, we came up with this idea that we should expect less of people with disabilities. We can undo that idea by undoing and changing that expectation. So it's both people reaching inside themselves for their muchness. It's the law making it clear that there's a strong legal framework. And then it's ultimately as people with disabilities get in the workplace and people see, you know, the, the strong merit that people with disabilities bring, that will slowly change the societal expectations. We've already changed them. We've already changed them. We have people with, you know, severe cerebral palsy in the workplace using speaker machines, being incredibly smart and bright, and that's changing assumptions about what someone with that disability can do. You just have to keep doing that over and over again. Oh, that is so true, and I'll tell you that that's why at our company, our motto at Bender is competitive jobs mean freedom. Mm -hmm. Because it should not be, uh, it, it, just as you said, okay, I have a job, no matter what the job is, almost as if you're doing a favor to a person with a disability. Oh, we're going to let you have a job. We don't need jobs. We need careers. Of course, we. everyone wants a job, just as you said. But, mm -hmm. see, we've got to get rid of that pity. Right. Pity it, is terrible. That is and it's like you would say to someone who has red hair, oh, Oh, you have red hair and you have a job. That is so awesome. That's so admirable. It's like, hello. Yeah, I have red hair and I have a job. Right? And so it's like that's the same thing. You know, it's, it's not that this, it's this admirable 
thing that either is therefore done out of charity or pity. It's, oh, well, I guess you're going to expect to work just like we all work. It's just about the expectations. Now, again, law is a critical piece Mm -hmm. because if you have red hair, you really don't need any accommodation to do your job. Okay, but if you have bipolar disorder or you have cancer or you have epilepsy or you use a wheelchair, I mean, there, there are different types of impairments that will need different modifications in the job. And that what the law says is the employer, this is a stop, think, and justify moment of it. The employer can't just say, well, we've never given time off, so sorry that you need it because of your disability. It's like, no, we've got to work this through. If it's not an undue hardship, I need to get that accommodation. Right. And as a matter of fact, prior to the ADA Amendments Act, um, I can't begin to tell you how many cases we had of people with epilepsy who would have a seizure at work and they would fire them. Yes. And then if, if there wasn't a good manager, you know, to overrule that decision, right, and you were only left going to court, you were completely stuck with the court cases that said, well, we're going to take into account how limited you are with the medication that you take, and most people were not limited. That's why they were taking the medication, so that usually they didn't have seizures. Um, And people, one after the other, people with epilepsy, people with diabetes were being kicked out of court. And now, especially with the final regulation, we make it very clear that there are some impairments that should easily be concluded to be disabilities. And Diabetes, epilepsy, cancer, HIV infection, a number of mental illnesses are listed there, as is deafness and blindness and using a wheelchair. That's, those also should easily be concluded to be disabilities. But I think that the clarity of this final regulation will really help people move past the question of, are you covered, to, is it legitimate to fire you? And you know what? It's not legitimate to fire someone just because they had a seizure at work. Right, yeah. Well, I think we have uh, another caller on the line. Caller, you want to go ahead? Hey, hi. Hey. How are you? It's Chris Griffin. Hey, Ah. Chris, how are you doing? (laughs) Good, good. I actually just wanted to call in and and thank Hi and our fellow colleagues over at EEOC for getting those regs out. And I wanted to ask you a question. Given that you've got, you know, really good bipartisan support uh, when the ADA Amendments Act was passed, and then it looks like uh, on the passage of the regs, um, you've got agreement from the business community um, as well on how these regs would be, how these regs were written. Um, how, how do you think that will play out with the courts? So will that, will that be a positive Mm-hmm. Peace. Um, well, first of all, I'm so glad you called in so that I could make sure to say for the record and for the listeners how I consider myself simply a successor to Chris Griffin in my job um, because Chris Griffin was the commissioner prior to me, and it was you who took the first lead in terms of um, uh, making sure that they weren't really bad regulations that came out yeah. before we could do anything about it. And we certainly appreciate um, that incredible leadership. So so just want to thank well, you for that and getting us going. Um, 
I do, now, I think it's very interesting. So if you look at the past week um, of the response to the regulations, yeah. you've got the major business associations, the Chamber of Commerce, Society of Human Resource Management, being very positive about that they can work with these regulations. Yeah. You have a number of um, lawyers just from law firms who are reading the regulations and then talking to the press, various trade association periodicals, etc., who are um, not as as completely comfortable because they're saying, "Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is really broad." You know, now it is really broad. I mean, the regulations that was the original really broad. Intent. Yeah, that was the intention. But but I do think that we have first a a period of education and communication that I really do think the right. next six months yeah. of the year is the important moment. What happens in the next six months to 12 months is going to be key in terms of the type of education that is happening. And the reason, part of why it was so important for me to have a bipartisan regulation that the business associations would feel matched up to the statute they had agreed to is they are key actors in conveying that education. It can't just be the government, the EEOC, and it can't just be the disability community putting out that education. It's got to be... So let me ask you this. So if yeah. Sherm supports it, you know, in a press release or whatever, yeah. the expectation is that when they do their trainings, which they do a substantial number of, they will be actually saying good things. Exactly. And they have already. Okay. So in they, they did a webinar um, just last week that my colleague, Commissioner Lipnick, was on. There were like a 1,000 people that oh, called great. in for that webinar. And just as it should be, Towards the end of that webinar, they were getting questions on reasonable accommodation. They're like, okay, okay, so remind me, how do I do this? How do I do that? See, so yeah. I, we, cannot, we cannot guarantee that we don't end up in the courts like before, right. but we can do as best as we can to make it less likely. So I, I think that with this um, sort of wind behind our backs on this regulation, that we will be getting the message out there not to nitpick on coverage and to start engaging with reasonable accommodation. We will be in the courts in terms of what's an undue hardship, what's a job-related qualification yeah, standard. Yeah. You know, what, yeah, we're going to yeah. be in the courts on that. We can't, you know, we never yeah. got there before. What's a direct threat even? It, we just never right. had that discussion, yeah. Exactly. So, but the thing is, that's where we need to be getting at as a society. Yeah, we need I to be agree. grappling with those questions. So that's my hope. Well, that's great. I think you've done a great job. Um, I love working with you. And uh, <laughs> well, same here. And I wonder if you want to say something about because I was going to say something about the federal. When Joyce, you mentioned about the federal government and the federal sector, I wonder if you could uh, give the the two minute pitch, Christine, in terms of your current position at, uh, as deputy of the Office of Personnel Management, the incredible work that both you and I are working on together right now towards hiring people with disabilities. Well, yeah, we're, you know, we're collaborating with EEOC, Department of Labor, OMB, the White House, and uh, the Department of Ed, as well as, as Joyce Bender to um, make sure that we are providing all of the agency people with all the tools necessary to increase the hiring of people with disabilities in the federal government as required by President Obama's executive order. Um, 
requiring agencies to do that. So one of the great things that we've done is actually uh, I've worked with Joyce to develop a list of Schedule A eligible applicants that were identified that can fill positions that were identified by the Chief Human Capital Office Council as ones that turn over quickly, uh, common to most agencies, and that they would um, most likely uh, want to hire folks into. So things like um, IT and HR specialists, um, contact specialists, contract specialists, um, general clerical folks, finance folks. They, Joyce has and her folks have put together an amazing list of, of, uh, of folks that are going to be hired by the federal government. And we're really starting to see some great progress. Um, agencies, Department of Justice, USDA, OPM itself, EEOC has always done a, a good job in this area. Um, just we're, we're seeing agencies really hire people with disabilities in compliance with this executive order. And they they were discovering what we always knew they would. Once they get a really good employee with a disability and they see how easy it is to hire and accommodate someone, they will actually do it again and again. And so Exactly. Um, so yeah, I really do think that. Right. I really do think we've got a two-track system going here. And certainly from the EOC's perspective, Joyce, we feel it as both helping to implement the ADA as it applies to the private sector, but also working with the federal agencies to make sure that they can meet President Obama's goal, as he put in his executive order, of hiring 100,000 people with disabilities into the federal government over the next five years. So. Yeah. We, we have our eyes on both of those prizes at the EOC. Yep, yep, yep. and we'll be getting the agency plans outlining how they're going to achieve their goals um, by agency, and those are due actually next week. So, Correct. Um, yeah, we'll all be taking a look at them, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll find some really great best practices that we can share with other people, and we'll see more progress as we go into... Um, you know, the end of this fiscal year and into the next. Yep. Well, thank you so, for calling. Well, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Hey, Great. Deputy Director Griffin, mm -hmm. I just want to say, if it weren't for you, a lot of this would not be happening. Oh, so I think that. You know, I thank you. I appreciate you also. And thank well, you I very much. It, but that's <laughs> a lot of people calling. working together. Thanks. Yeah. All right. All right. She, is, she is really awesome. You know that? Mm -hmm. Yep. She is really awesome. Well, hey, I have... Only a few quick questions I want to ask, but this one I definitely wanted to ask you. Do you think Section 503 of the Rehab Act will be endorsed? Well, um, and in other words, the um, Section, 50, I mean, Section 503 of the Rehab Act applies to federal contractors. Right. Right. And right now, OFCCP, the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, inside Department of, Letter, uh, Department of Labor, which is headed by Pat Chu, another incredible dynamic person. In fact, I hope you have her on the show at some point. Yes, I, um, we, we think very highly of her. Yeah, so she is definitely um, really working to um, enhance the effectiveness of those requirements um, by requiring companies, I mean, thinking about potentially requiring companies to have targets um, and goals just like there is for race and sex. Um, so, and that's, so if your question is, 
Um, do I think that there's going to be stronger enforcement of 503? I think mm. there will be. Um, oh, that would be so wonderful. And we did have her on. Uh, oh, good. I think it was last year. And I'll tell you what, that will be the biggest impact on employment right there. Right there, right there. Should have her on again after they put out, you know, the proposals. All they have done right now is put out what's called an ANPRM, an Advanced mm -hmm. Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. Mm -hmm. And that's when an agency says to the public, we're thinking of putting out proposed regulations. Here are some of the questions we're dealing with right now. What do you think? Mm -hmm. So that's what they've done. They've gotten those answers back. The next step will be putting out actually proposed regulations. Um, and then there will be yet the, the, the final step, which will be the final regulations, which is like what we just put out from our agency on the ADA. And I guess what's very, I think, important for listeners to realize in terms of the places of power in our society, the places where things happen, it really follows, you know, from the Constitution. And the Constitution has in first article, Article 1, is Congress has legislative power. So Congress is where it begins in terms of a piece of law. But then Article 2 is the president is to implement the law, including through agencies like the Department of Labor or an independent agency like mine, the EEOC. And then Article 3 is if there's a particular case that comes up, that's when the, the courts get involved. But it's like the courts are the last piece, and often things never even get to court. There's so much that happens just from passing a law, having it be implemented, and then just the day-to-day -day interaction with the law right there in workplaces. And that's, that's what I hope we are going to be seeing a lot of. Well, I'll tell you what, you truly are just a ball of energy. And fortunately <laughs> for us, it's all about justice with you. So I have to ask yeah. you this question. Uh -huh. Who was the role model that gave you this muchness you have? Um, the muchness. My muchness absolutely comes from my parents. I mean, they really absolutely were my role models. Um, my father was an incredibly smart person with a great sense of humor. He could just always see the twinkle in his eye when he was about to, like, you know, have this really witty comment. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor. Um, he survived by being in the forest of Poland. His whole family and, and village um, were killed. Um, and he came to the States, United States, after the war. My mother um, grew up in a very sheltered um, Hasidic Jewish environment um, and it went on to get her Ph.D. in Jewish history from Columbia. Um, she was um, she killed at an early age, at age 41, in a car accident. So I was, I was 15 when I lost her as a um, sort of living role model, but I feel like she absolutely continues inside me. So, you know, I feel like um, I was very lucky in terms of absorbing muchness from around me. Um, and, uh, you know, someone once said to me that I, I mother ideas and I mother people. And that's very much how I feel, you know. In the cause of justice, what I want to do is help ideas blossom and help people blossom. And I totally feel like I got that growing up. Well, you know what? Isn't that amazing, you know, about your uh, father? There we see discrimination at the furthest end, mm -hmm. what happened in World War II. That's why you always have to take all of this seriously. 
Mm-hmm. So, well, before you go here, I always ask these last two questions for the past yeah. eight years to every guest. Okay. I know this would be hard to answer, but of all these great things you've done, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment? You know, my proudest accomplishment is that I have lived out my muchness. You know, I mean, I cannot tell you how proud I am of the ADA, the work on the ADA, the ADA Amendments Act, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, I mean, medical privacy. I mean, I really am proud of all of those legislative um, efforts, but but I'm most proud of the fact that I have lived my life to the fullest, you know, that passion and connection have been sort of guiding lights for me, and I feel like that's the proudest accomplishment, that I've lived my life as fully as, as it can be lived. Well, what a great thing. <laughs> I mean, what yes. a great thing for anyone to be able to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and see, <clears throat> that's why all of you listeners, young and old with disabilities, that's why it is so important to know that you can do what you want to do and not listen to people that lower the bar. That's why we all have mm-hmm. to get our muchness back. Well, Commissioner Feldblum, if you had a message you would like to leave with our listeners today, what would that be? The message would be to go out and actually spread that word about the importance of hiring people with disabilities and for people with disabilities to go out there and get a job. I mean, like, take it on in a very personal way. That's because the law is only as strong as the people of this country make it. So that would be my message. Go out and make this law work for all of us. Well, I hope everyone's listening because if we would just take that one message, we wouldn't have this terrible, terrible unemployment we have for people with disabilities. But it's going to change. It is going to change. We're going to move forward. I really believe that. And I certainly appreciate everything President Obama has done to help getting things going in the federal government. I really do. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Commissioner Feldblum. And as a woman living with epilepsy, I want to thank you for everything you've done especially recently with the ADA Amendments Act. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for doing this program for so many years and being a voice out there. Truly, Voice of America, this is truly a wonderful show to have in terms of being a voice for people with disabilities and of people with disabilities. So I appreciate being on it. (laughs) Well, you know, yesterday, April 4th, is the day Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, April 4th. Right. So we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and especially having Commissioner Feldblum on the show today, it has to be, our life begins to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, Commissioner Feldblum will never be silent about things that matter. Thank Thank you. you so much for being with us. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day. We'll be back next week. Don't go away. Don't miss the show. This is Joyce Bender signing off. See you then.
Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.